Back in the day when I was a young person of faith, headed off to college, I still remember a Christian group to which I belonged for a short period of time in which it was very, very important that you show a massive before and after story. That you needed to, you know, it was all about the light switch of salvation. That you went from dark to light like that. That you uh, went from total debauchery into absolute purity. And the better your debauchery was and the better your salvation story was, the better Christian you were. So sometimes I, I think some of the stories I heard were partially made up because you had to make sure you, you were debauched enough so that you could really be saved and it could be like a night and day situation. The before and after was supposed to look so very, very different. Uh, now the truth be told, I think for most people faith is not a light switch kind of uh, night to darkness, uh, night to light, uh, darkness to light kind of experience. It's often more uh, nuanced than that. You know, there's a period of time when you seem to have come into the light and then you seem to recede some and then you come back into some more light and then you recede some. And maybe it's a constant movement. Uh, in any case, today we're going to look at the disciples and a story in... Jesus, you know, we've been studying the Gospel of John, first the letters of John all through Lent, and now, the first letter of John anyway, and now we've been looking at all the resurrection stories in the Gospel of John. And now we have a, another post-resurrection story. This is in chapter 21. By the way, many scholars believe this was a later add-on, although there are no early manuscripts that do not contain it. So I don't know exactly how they've decided it's an add-on. You can ask them. I, I know exactly how they've added it because I've read all of the background. But let me read you this passage about uh, the kind of night and day that we expect after the resurrection from our disciples. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. Uh, they went out and got into the boat, but that night... They caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Uh, Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes because he was naked 
and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them to be exact. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to all the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the gospel of the Lord for this morning. Thanks be to God. Well, before and after. The gospel of John never really tells us that Peter was a fisherman prior to becoming a follower of Jesus. We have to rely on the other gospels to know that Jesus found Peter fishing. So before he was a fisherman, and now he's going back to what he knows. Because isn't that the way most of us do? You know, we, we, we have, uh, it, it's easy to go back to the things that we know sometimes. Easier to go back to the things we know than to do something different, something challenging, something in a new kind of way. I mean, if we were reading closely in the Gospel of John chapter 20, all the resurrection stories, it seems like Jesus has already told the disciples, you know, to go out and uh, proclaim him and uh, has already breathed the spirit on them. So you would get the fact that maybe they should be out there doing something besides that. And yet they've gone back to fishing, at least Peter, and he's convinced the other disciples to go along with him. Now, I just want to say this thing that occurred to me as I was looking at the text this week. It's hard to be a fisherman before you come to Jesus, and it's just as hard to be a fisherman after you've come to Jesus. You know, Peter had a tough time catching fish when he was a fisherman before he met the Lord, and then when he goes back, they fished all night, and what did they catch? Zip, nada, nothing. They caught nothing. Uh, so just because you know Jesus doesn't mean life gets easier. If anything, coming to know Jesus can sometimes make it just as challenging, only now you've got somebody to ride the ride with you, uh, to walk along with you in the difficult moments. Uh, that, that's one of the things I noticed. Peter the fisherman, tough time being a fisherman before and after Jesus. The second thing is that I notice about this story is the folks who are gathered on the beach. And it's interesting. We hear that Peter is there, Simon Peter. We hear that Thomas is there, second person mentioned, clearly an important player. Nathaniel that we haven't heard from since the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And we find out he's from Cana of Galilee. Uh, you know, he's there. And the, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, uh, we would know. And then two unnamed disciples. 
And one of the unnamed disciples must be the one that Jesus loved, who keeps getting referred to in the constantly in the Gospel of John as the one Jesus loved. We don't get to know who it is. We assume it's John because the name of the Gospel is John. And so John is like, I, maybe he's humble and he doesn't want everyone to know the one that Jesus loved was me. Or maybe it was someone else altogether. We don't know. We don't know who the one that Jesus loved is. But there are, that's a count of seven disciples on, uh, who have gone fishing, who've gone back to the life that they knew, perhaps, before they started to follow Jesus. And the seven disciples, some of whom are named, and we know go on to do big things, you know, great big things. Peter, who was eventually martyred. Uh, Thomas, who we believe may have planted all the churches in Asia, uh, at least been one of the first church planters. Nathaniel, who now gets confirmed, he's come and seen, and he gets to see. And uh, the Zebedee brothers, James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee, uh, also known as Sons of Thunder, uh, and then two nobodies, two unknowns. I think that this story, you know, one of the wonderful things about all the gospel writers is they're wonderful storytellers. And they don't leave things out by accident, don't put things in by accident. They intended us to have two unnamed disciples, one of whom is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And why might that be? Because you and I are unnamed disciples. We don't have to be the center of attention. We don't have to be the one uh, who, is, uh, who is named, who becomes the martyr, who is the spokesperson for the cause. We don't have to be any of those things. It's cool to be the pastor. It's cool to be the worship leader. Uh, you know, the keyboardist, the person who does the send out, the tech team that's in the back. It's cool to be all those things. But what if you're a person who's just watching online. Well, guess what? You matter. The unnamed disciples got the abundance of Jesus just as much as the named disciples did. And the one whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved, why does the disciple whom Jesus loved never get a name in the entire gospel? Is it because of humility or because of the suggestion that you're the disciple Jesus loved. There wasn't a disciple Jesus didn't love. Yes, that was a double negative. Jesus loved them all, every single one of them. They don't need a name because you're the disciple that Jesus loved, so say your name. James, I am the disciple Jesus loved. You can use your own name and say the same thing to yourself. And if you're embarrassed because you're in a crowd of 15 people at your house who've all had by the way, you shouldn't be gathered with 15 people in your house. But if you're with a crowd of people watching this, up to, say, 10 or less, you know, in safety, you can say it to yourself if you want to inside your head. Your name followed by, I am the disciple Jesus loved. I am the disciple Jesus loved. Do you know what the bookends of the gospel are? And I'm not talking about that introductory first chapter with some calling stories and in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was... I'm not talking about that. Do you know what the book, book ends are? 
two miracle stories, and they're both about abundance. The first one, in chapter 2 of the Gospel of John, the wedding at Cana of Galilee, when Jesus makes a ton of wine. It's not quite a ton. You know, it's a hundred, it actually might be pretty close to a ton, because a ton is 2,000 pounds, and eight times 180 Someone else has to do the math. It's, no, it's more like 1,600 pounds, so it's not quite a ton. He makes a lot of wine, 180 gallons of it. Six pitchers that each hold 30 gallons each are turned in from water to wine. Really good wine. Abundance. That's his first miracle story. And now, 153 fish are caught, all because he points out fish. There's fish. That's a, a lot of fish. And they're not little fish, not the little tiny ones. You know, we've all heard fish stories. Have you ever been on a fishing adventure where you catch a fish? And the fish is really about this big. But you, you know, the more times you tell the story, the next thing you know, the fish is so big you can't even carry it. In fact, it took six of your friends to come out to the boat to carry the fish so you could take a picture of it. And unfortunately, as you were carrying it, it fell back in the water and swam away. Oh, well, this happens. But it really was a fish this big. In fact, there are some goldfish that are bigger than the fish you caught. But you're not going to say that out loud. You're going to tell a big fish. 153 fish. And they were good-sized fish. And Jesus has already cooked some fish and some bread. You know what's an interesting side issue? I didn't even know Jesus could cook. You know, maybe he could have his own cooking show on the Food Network. You know, uh, cooking with Jesus. You know, I, I don't know. Okay, that's a side issue, and that was really chasing a little tiny squirrel. But I thought it was kind of cool to find out Jesus could cook. You know, cook for himself, cook for other people, serving others. Nothing was below Jesus. Nothing was below Jesus, including cooking for his disciples, even when they went back to being fishermen. Even when they went back to being fishermen. There is not a word of judgment in that entire 14 verses. Read it carefully. Read it to yourself as many times as you want to. I made a judgment on it. Look at them going back to their old lives aimlessly, pointlessly. There's no tone in there. There's no tone at all. They went back to doing what they knew how to do. And Jesus showed up even then. Jesus showed up even then. Jesus showed up when they were behind closed doors. Jesus showed up again for Thomas. Jesus showed up when they ate food and drank wine. Jesus just seems to show up all the time, every time the community is together. When they're eating together, drinking together, fishing together. And he fits in wherever he fits in as a part. As a part. So, for those of you who are watching St. James, and maybe this is your first time ever seeing St. James, and you may think to yourself, I'm really nobody to that community. It's not true. There is no such thing as a nobody in God's kingdom. There's no such thing. You are the disciple Jesus loved. There are unnamed disciples as well as named disciples in the story, and all of them matter. Every single one of them. Jesus didn't offer abundance to just the named ones. 
Oh, by the way, Peter, James, John, Thomas, Nathaniel, here, have some food. Unnamed ones. Wander off where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's not in there at all. <laughs> Named or unnamed, you matter. There is always a space at God's table for you. Always a space. Whether the people who are at the table with you know your name or not, God does. And God knows how deeply it is written on your heart who you are because God made you that way. And God wants to love you abundantly and bring you into a light that offers you new life. They were fishing in the darkness. And at daybreak, when the light began to shine, there was Jesus. You know, for a lot of uh, early Christianity, you know, before there was the advent of electric lights and everything that was lighted all the time, when it went dark at night, it was dark. The stadium down the street, the Colosseum didn't have floodlights that kind of created light pollution. It was just dark. It was dark. How dark? Dark. Have you ever been out in the country without lights? Dark. When the moon's out, not so dark, but otherwise, dark. One of the things that they celebrated every day was the rising of the sun every single day. And for early Christians, the rising of the sun was a reminder of the rising of the sun, the resurrection. It was a reminder that God is faithful and there will be a new day. It's going to be interesting when we go back to whatever normal is in a post-pandemic world. Because quite frankly, if we believe science, and I do, it's not a post-pandemic world until we have a vaccine for it and can figure out how to protect people from it. So we're waiting for the other shoe to drop when we enter this new normal, whatever it will be. We're ready, and yet we're reticent, right there on the edge of each other. As we enter this new world, this new time, we need to be careful to look out for one another and for the community, and to trust that God is going to show us the way to be in this new post-pandemic world in ways that will matter, in ways that make a difference in ways that touch the lives of other human beings in our communities. We are so delighted at the West, uh, that, you know, here at St. James on the west end of Alexandria, that we're one of three food pantries still open in the city of Alexandria. There were eight before the pandemic, and now we're down to three that are still open, at least at last report. And we're one of those three. And the number of people goes up. You know, uh, this last week we got the report there were 46 families represented, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot uh, until you realize they, 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 rec they represent more than 160 individuals who are eating because the West End Food Pantry is here, because of the donations you make to the West End Food Pantry, some of which are part of our banquet table here. And why not? This week we received food from a variety of sources 
and they are on this table. Some of it. We couldn't fit it all on the table, or else it would just be a big pile of food behind me. So it makes a difference. It means somebody's going to eat. And whether we name or leave unnamed the ones who gave us this food, they were disciples. The disciples whom Jesus loved, doing their part. And that can be you. That can be you. Because God loves you right where you are. In all your vulnerability, in all your insecurity, you yourself are a gift. The only one like you in the entire universe. Named or unnamed, you matter to God. Named or unnamed, you are precious. Please don't forget that. Please don't forget that. Sometimes the before and after story doesn't look all that different, except your heart's changed. And perhaps you recognize Jesus in places you didn't expect to see him. On the beach, cooking a meal, in all sorts of unknown and precious places. That's what I got from this story today. Beautiful bookend of the abundance of God wanting to share love with us. Light that comes out of the darkness. God who does not have an evil world to say for us for falling back into other patterns, but encourages us to examine those patterns and ask, is this really what God needs me to do? Because named or unnamed, the work that God has given me matters. So, be the beloved disciple this week that you are and live out the love in the best way you can. That's my challenge.